morning we continue on in this uh, series called Sent. It's a conversation around the responsibility and the task that we have been given by God himself to go into the world and to tell others about Jesus Christ. And last week, we began the conversation talking about how your personal story matters and how much of our conversation is to know your story, where the challenge or the real kind of landing place of our dialogue last week was if someone were to ask you about why Jesus matters so much to you, could you articulate that clearly in normal language in somewhere between three and seven minutes? Some of us were like, oh, I'll tell you about the Lord. And it's like seven hours later, and the one who's asked you is regretting the fact that they've asked you, and any work of the Holy Spirit, you've kind of like stifled through boredom. So the whole part of last week is we have to be able to explain quickly our our own experience with the living God and what he's done inside our heart, what he's done inside our lives. And it doesn't mean that we are perfect, but but it does mean that we have to know how to talk about what God has done in our life to our friends and family when those moments arise, when they ask us, why do you do this? Why do you Um, act this way? Why do you say this way? What what is it about this faith thing that means so much to you? And that's where we need to know our personal story so that we are kind of on the ready for the opportunities that God gives to us around telling others about who he is. This is our, our first conversation, and this gives way to the second one, and hopefully you'll see how these all kind of fit together like Lego blocks Uh, as we move through this series together. So with that said, would you pray with me as we kind of begin this second conversation? Let's let's pray together. Our gracious and heavenly Father, um, the task of the Great Commission, the work of sharing the good news of Christ um, is, is significant. And yet it is one of the tasks that, if we're all honest, that we all probably feel perhaps the most vulnerable over, the most exposed over, Uh, maybe even the most unqualified to to do, and yet this is the task that you have invited us into. We're not alone in this task. Um, There is much behind it, and God, I pray this morning as we work our way through this conversation that we would be deeply encouraged uh, in how we go about this, because all of that matters greatly as you have placed us here in this time and place to tell others about you, that they might reach out for you and find you and walk with you and know you and experience life and life to its full. God, you ask you to bless this time, this conversation in your name. Amen. We're going to jump right into our conversation today and establish kind of right off the top what we're going to be talking about this morning. Sometimes I'll wait till later in the conversation to really reveal what it is that we're after, but today we're going to like right out of the gate, what matters in this conversation is remaining in step with the Spirit, that this matters greatly. In this whole conversation, it's remaining in step with the Spirit matters. And I need to say this kind of up front to address one of two groups of people. Because most of us fall into one of these two groups. There is a third, but for our time's sake and conversation's sake, we're only going to address two. But the, the first group is the ones who have absolutely no fear about telling others about Jesus. In fact, they're a little obnoxious about it. These are kind of the bold proclaimers, the street corner preachers, the track hander outers, the airplane worship leader hijackers. Like these folks 
don't quite understand what Isaiah is getting at when he says God's word will not return void. Like, it's like every moment of every day and every crowd and every gathering, someone should be there to tell that group of people about Jesus Christ. I remember going to the U2 concert years ago and kind of walking over thousands of leaflets where it was this like creative little track that said U2 on one side was the band and then you flip it over, can know Jesus. And I'm like, this is tens of thousands of leaflets kind of all over the floor and the ground as we kind of made our way into the concert. And, and listen, I, I want to say to this group with much love and affection for you, I love the passion that you have. I love that this is deep in your bones. But every method and every opportunity and every place and every crowd and every whatever, this isn't a biblical model of how we reach others. It, it actually would be not at all what you would see in the text of Scripture. And before you get angry at this, like, we'll work our way through this conversation, and you'll see that what I'm saying is actually more right than wrong, and, and I'll just leave you with that. The second group, and this is where probably most of us are, um, we're a bit timid, we're perhaps a bit nervous or even afraid to even speak about Christ with our friends and family at workplace, in the classroom, whatever the case might be, because we're nervous that we might not know what to say or how to say it. We might be afraid of the consequences if we bring it up in a public setting at my workplace or at school, uh, in the doctor's office. Like We might be a little nervous about how is this going to go if I kind of cross that threshold in the conversation of faith and talk about this person who matters a lot to me. So there's this group of bold proclaimers that it's every time, every place, every corner, every crowd, let's, let's get the good news of Jesus out there. There's that group, and then there's this other group that you know, as, as zealous and excited as they are, we are in this other group of like, oh, uh, I, I want to have a little bit of that, but I, I struggle to find the courage to even broach the subject with the ones who I know need the Lord. To help both groups navigate this conversation of being sent out into the world, uh, I want to give some insight as to what's really required if we're going to be effective in are going out into the world. And there's three stories that we're going to look at. Uh, the first one is in Acts chapter 8. And before I put the verse up, uh, I just want to put a context around it. Acts chapter 8, this is like the Holy Spirit has arrived, and there's some really cool things that are happening in the early church. And then um, Stephen is stoned, and persecution begins to unfold, and the church is like scattered out of Jerusalem because the tides have turned, and now there's a lot of hostility coming its way. There is a guy in this story whose name is Philip that Philip is directed to go to a particular place as this begins to unfold. And here's the verse that I want to draw your attention to. This is in Acts chapter 8. It's on the screen. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, if you're ever wondering kind of where my parents kind of like named me after, like this is the guy. So now an angel of the Lord came to Philip and said, go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I just that's story one. The church is being persecuted, and those who really love the Lord are kind of like scattered throughout the land, and there's this dialogue where an angel of the Lord arrives to Philip and says, I'm asking you to go here. That's story one. The second story is in Acts chapter 10. This is this incredible story where um, Peter and Cornelius begin to have like, 
simultaneous dreams and visions about this thing that God is about to do in his world. And the verse that I want to draw your attention to, this is in Acts 10, and, and here it is. It says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. This is the verse that I want to draw your attention to from this other story that brings about this incredible meeting between Peter and Cornelius a little bit later, and we'll come to that story in a few more moments. And the third story, this is in Acts chapter 16. This is Paul um, on a missionary journey, and it's incredible the language that's in this text of Scripture. This is Acts 16. The text is on the screen, and here's how this particular moment unfolds in Paul's life. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phygra and Galatia. Here's the line that's interesting. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So there's a moment here where the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go there. I know that you love the Lord and I know that you're a bold proclaimer and you're a track hander outer, but you're not to go here and do that work here in this place. And then verse 7, when they came to the border of Messiria, they tried to enter Bithia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So it's, don't go there, don't go there, because the Spirit is directing them to a particular place to do the work. So when I say it's not entirely biblical just to go wherever you want and say whatever you want about Jesus in every time, place, and crowd... That is not what you would see in the text of Scripture. This is not a unique moment in Paul's life as he is going about to plant churches around kind of Asia Minor. He is following clear direction of the Holy Spirit. Don't go there, skip that spot, go over here and begin this work here, and we'll come back to this story in a few... Actually, sorry, I didn't read ahead of my notes, so we will keep going in this story. This is uh, verse 8. So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Tro uh, Troas, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing up, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen this vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So through this story, it's don't go there, don't go here, this vision unfolds, go over to Macedonia. And if you get into that story of Macedonia, it's amazing of who Paul meets, and we'll get to that here in a few moments. The common thread throughout these three stories, and there's dozens that we could pick from from the New Testament, the common thread or the common ingredient is, in fact, God's people who have been tasked with being sent out into the world to tell others about Jesus is, in fact, their sensitivity and remaining in step with the Holy Spirit as he's guiding and directing them to whatever place that God is calling them to do this work. And when this is done well, it directs the passions of the bold proclaimers and focuses them in the very places where God is actually wanting them to go. Hence, Paul, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, go there. So it kind of like di directs the passions of that first group that think every time, in every place, in every moment, in every crowd, in every concert that comes to the city, we got to be there and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. What I find ironic, you don't see Jesus or Paul crash a first century Roman concert and pass out tracts. Like, you don't see that. There is this clear sensitivity 
to the Holy Spirit's guiding and leading in their life for those who are deeply passionate about the work of telling others about Jesus. Now, to the other group, it empowers and emboldens those who are nervous and fearful and gives them all that they need in the task laid out before them. If you get into the heart of that story of Peter and Cornelius, like what Peter is seeing is problematic for him as a Jewish man. He's seeing food that he's not supposed to eat. He's like confronted with a Gentile that this is so far outside of the normative framework for him to live. And yet he's emboldened and empowered because he knows that the Holy Spirit is drawing him to go to this house and to have a dialogue, which is where like, Gentiles are welcomed in to this whole thing that God is doing in his world. Now, it's probably not a shock to most of you to say that the Holy Spirit and his leading is the key ingredient to how and where and when we tell others about Jesus. But what is weird is that often we don't pay attention. We know that that's true, but we don't actually live it out in our life. There isn't that like discernible activity to say, wow, maybe not today, maybe it's the next day, maybe it's not at the Thanksgiving Christmas dinner when everyone's there and half my family is hostile to the good news of Jesus, but you know, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, like there, there's a space here of like, all right, if we know this, then let's pay attention to how the Holy Spirit leads us in this particular work. And when we get down into why this matters so much, it's quite beautiful, actually, for you, the Christ follower, for me, the Christ follower, in this work of being sent out into the world. Because when we understand and apply and know and live in the reality of the Holy Spirit's activity in this conversation, there are three things that ground us deeply in this work before us. In our being sent out into the world, the Holy Spirit knows what's going on and where it's going on. So as I go about my life, I understand that the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in different parts of the world or in my life that I am completely oblivious to. In the story of Philip, Philip is unaware that there is an Ethiopian man making his way to the city of Jerusalem. He is completely unaware of this. The Holy Spirit is completely aware that there is a man who God is doing something in his life and is, he's an Ethiopian eunuch making his way and hence the Spirit says, Go here. And it's very specific. Go to the road that's leading south from there to Damascus. It would be like you getting up in the morning and doing your devotions and the Holy Spirit saying to you, get up, go to Lower Malpec, and you're going to find a red civic that's broken down, and that person is going to be waiting for you, and you're going to tell them the story of Jesus Christ. Most of us would be like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Like, that is weird. That is very pointed. My friends are going to be thinking I'm crazy. But this is why we have to rest in the act of the Holy Spirit. Like, Philip, this is an act of faith for him. He's like, all right, like, I'm going to go to this place. And I'm going to look for this to unfold. And all right. And then all of a sudden, he's, he meets this man. And his whole life has changed because the Holy Spirit knows what's happening over there. And Philip responds to it. And then there's the story of Peter. The Holy Spirit knows what's happening in Cornelius' home. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is actively involved in Cornelius' home. The Holy Spirit is doing something over there, and he's coming along to Peter, and he's saying, I need you to go here. And Peter's like, all right, this makes no sense, but I'm going to go because he's grounded himself in this reality. The Holy Spirit is actively involved, and he knows what's going on in different times and different places. And then there's a story of Paul in Macedonia. 
Paul is this bold proclaimer, and no doubt he just wants to go wherever, whenever, to tell others about Christ, and yet, through this particular vision that he has, he is told, don't go there and don't go there, but go over there to Macedonia. Why? Paul doesn't know this, but the Holy Spirit is doing something in the person of Lydia's life in her home. And it's curious that when Paul goes and finds Lydia and the others that are gathered in this place of prayer, Lydia's home becomes one of the centers of the early church. It's one of the places where there are men and women who come to know the Lord and it's vibrant for years to come. Paul has no idea that he's going to run into a lady named Lydia in this place, but he trusts that the Holy Spirit knows that there's something happening over there that you're just asking me to be faithful and walk in it and go to Macedonia and just see what happens. If you're asking me to go, you must be there, you must be doing something, so I just want to walk faithfully in those steps that you have prepared for me. In our being sent out into the world, the Holy Spirit, one, knows what's going on and where, but the Holy Spirit is also cultivating the hearts beforehand. We see this in the story of Philip. Again, when the Holy Spirit is doing something in the Ethiopian eunuch's life, when Philip arrives, he's reading the Isaiah scroll. Like, that's not a normal, like the person on Lower Malpec in a red civic, if you arrive and they're reading the Isaiah scroll or the book of, of Isaiah, like, that is not a normal habit or practice. Like, you can assume that God is present and doing something here in this moment, hence why he's asked you to go to Lower Malpac and find the Red Civic that's broken down, and to your surprise, you're like, oh, and you have your Bible open and you're reading Isaiah, like, like, do you need help reading that? Like, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit is already at work cultivating something in the, Ethiop in the Ethiopian eunuch's heart, and there's this dialogue that unfolds where he helps them to understand what he's reading, and it culminates with like, there's some water. Like, do you want to be baptized? Like, yes, I do. Like, it's a great moment where the Holy Spirit has done the hard work of softening and cultivating the heart of him. And Philip is just being faithful, again, to this leading of the Holy Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit. You get in the story of Peter and Cornelius. The Holy Spirit is doing something ironically in both of their hearts. Peter is confronted with things that are so outside of the Jewish framework that God is already preparing Peter for the next thing that God's going to do. And while he's doing that, he's preparing Cornelius in the same way that, that there's a whole new thing that God's going to be doing in his world. And when Peter arrives, he has this conversation with Cornelius, and he's eating foods that he's not supposed to, and all of a sudden, boom, Gentiles are now a part of the family of God in a wonderful and profound way. In the story of Paul, the Holy Spirit is doing something in the heart of the people in Macedonia. Paul's unaware of this. He's unaware of who they are, but he is certain that if God's calling him there, that God is already kind of doing that hard work, the heavy lifting of softening the heart for what is about to unfold when he arrives. And it's curious, when you get into the Acts 16 in verse 14, and this is a line, it's not on the screen, but it reads this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Like, get up, go to Macedonia, and you're going to find some things there that I'm already doing. Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So as God calls, he knows what's going on and where, and he's already doing the hard work in your kind of like stone-hearted relatives and friends and family. He's opening the hearts so they would respond to this particular message. And this is the third one. 
And this is the one that I really want you to hear this morning. Um, knows what's going on and where. Cultivate the hearts before you get there. Um, and we'll give you, give us the words to say when we arrive. In the story of Philip, Peter, and Paul, they're not given a manual. They don't have the, the steps to peace with God that Billy Graham has created, which is a wonderful resource. He doesn't have the Romans road. He doesn't have all this. Like, Romans hadn't been written yet. Like, none of this stuff is around. All the resources, there's no salvation bracelets. There's none of that stuff. They just humbly and quietly go to where they've been asked to go, believing that the Holy Spirit is present and doing something already where they've been asked to go. And wouldn't you know what? They are given all the words that they need to navigate the circumstances that they find themselves in. This shouldn't surprise us. And Jesus himself in Luke 12, 12, he says this to you and I. It's the disciples then, but it's also for you and I now. When you are brought before, so he's talking to his disciples who are going out into the world to tell us about Christ, and it's kind of a warning, like it's not going to be easy street for you all the time. But he says, when you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Most of us are like, want to like have the dress rehearsal before. The Holy Spirit, when you're invited into that space of like, hey, why does this guy Jesus matter to you? Yes, know your story, but don't have it so choreographed that it becomes awkward that you're not even listening anymore to the conversation that they're asking you to have. Like the Holy Spirit will give you all that you need in those moments to have those conversations with family and friends. We'll give you all you need. And, and some of us, and I'm, I'm in this, but I'm like, man, I want to say this right. I don't want to say this wrong. I don't want to say something that, that somehow like sends their eternity off into, into the Netherlands, not, not like the dark world, so to speak. But like part of this is like, if God is asking me to participate with him in this great work of the commission, if I'm sent out into the world, you need to relax a little bit and realize it doesn't all rest on you. Like, if you say one phrase wrong, they're going to be fine. Like, if, if, if we're so held hostage by, like, uh, if I say this wrong, they're instantly going to hell. That's not how God works all the time, if ever. He uses people like you and I who feel ill-equipped most of the time, who are nervous about, like, is this going to land well? I'm going to say it right. As long as you aren't, like, completely rude and ignorant and belligerent and, and lacking grace and compassion, if you can avoid those potholes, you're going to be fine. God is going to use your phrases and your life and your story in ways that you wouldn't possibly fathom and understand. It's incredible when we understand, and most of us do in theory, well, of course, remaining in step with the Holy Spirit is what matters in our being sent out in the world. But why it matters so much is that the Holy Spirit knows what's going on all over the world, all the time, in every moment of the day. And if he asks you to go here and not there, you can be confident that where you're going, that there is some land that God has cultivated for you before you even arrive, and when you arrive, all the words that you need to say will be given to you in this moment by and through the grace of God as we are about this work of telling others about Christ. In our being sent out into the world, the Holy Spirit ought to give us confidence 
in the task at hand. God has called us. He has instructed us to go out and tell others about who he is. This is best done through your personal story. This is the story of the woman at the well, like it's the sermon bumper where this woman has this incredible encounter with the living God. And she goes back to the village. He's like, let me tell you about this man who knew everything about me. And they are drawn in out of curiosity, and then they go out, and then as the text reads, we no longer believe because you told us, we believe because we've seen this for ourselves. It's incredibly grounding, confidence building when we understand the role of the Holy Spirit in this going out into the world. As we do this, you can't ever forget that, number one, the Holy Spirit knows what's happening. The Holy Spirit is cultivating the heart even before you arrive and will give you the words to say. Remaining in step with the Spirit is spoken of at length throughout the New Testament. Here are just a few passages in Romans 8, 4, 5, 6, and 16. Romans 8 is like the big one where it just talks at length about remaining in step with the Spirit. We live in the Spirit. We walk in step with the Spirit. On and on and on and on it goes. Galatians 5, Ephesians 2. You will see these phrases in these passages. Live according to the Spirit. Live in accordance with the Spirit. The mind governed by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Remain in step with the Spirit. And so these phrases unfold time and time and time again. If we don't do this, we are going to miss opportunities to tell others about Christ. There have been numerous times in my life, so if you have this moment, welcome to the club and don't let it get you so down that it's kind of like depressing. There have been moments where I know that God via the Spirit has said, go here and do this. And I'm like, ah, I think that's just myself talking to myself. And I ignore it. And I don't move in that direction. Those are the spaces that I regret in my life. Those are the spaces that I wish I could have a do-over in my life. And I try hard to pay attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit because I don't want to miss out on those opportunities that he, that he kind of like brings before me. And there is a double-sided coin to this of walking in step of the Spirit. One, if I ignore the promptings of the Spirit to go to Macedonia or to go to Lower Malpac, I am missing out on what God's doing in that person's life and I will be robbed of that joy and that experience of what God's doing in that moment, or worse, if I just ignore the Holy Spirit and I'm going to go and boldly proclaim Jesus wherever I am, you might actually harm people in some of those situations. The, the, the soil might not be tilled, and, and uh, we are a witness all the time of the church harming people. You know, give your heart to Jesus Christ or we'll kill you. Like, that seems weird when you get into the gospel of who Christ is. There's all kinds of things that are super important about remaining in step with the Holy Spirit. And this is the last kind of piece of information that we'll deal with this morning. How does one remain in step with the Spirit well in your life? Yes, it's a given. The Holy Spirit matters, and we want to remain in step with that. It's cool, and it's confident building, knowing kind of why that matters, and that He is... Um, doing something because he's already present and he'll give us the words to say, but how do I actually practically remain in step with the Spirit in my life? 
the short answer to this is simply just a life of prayer. In Jesus' life, we'll start with him. You'll see phrases all the time through the New Testament where it was, where it's, you know, after supper, Jesus went off to the garden to pray. Or early in the morning, Jesus came back from a time of prayer. It is a common practice and picture to see Jesus slip away by himself to spend time praying to his heavenly Father. It doesn't clearly say it, but I wonder, and I would almost bet my life, that it's in that dialogue with his heavenly Father that Jesus is getting a clear instruction for what he's going to do that day and where he's going to go and the people he's going to meet and the conversation that he's going to have and all the things that we see Jesus do in his ministry. One of the questions that someone often would ask me, it's like, you know, Jesus would heal some but not others. Why not the others? Like, why not just everybody? Well, sometimes I wonder if the Holy Spirit is like, that's the one you're going to heal today. And Jesus responds and heals that one today as it's all in this process of God revealing his beautiful name to a world that is in need of him. Our life of prayer matters, and it's reflected first and foremost in Jesus himself. We see this same practice of prayer in the three stories. Philip is the one in prayer with a whole bunch of disciples in Acts chapter 2. They are seeking the Lord in prayer about kind of the next steps for them. It's Peter while praying on a rooftop where he has a vision about a blanket and Cornelius and all of these things. It's Paul in prayer traveling that in a vision, he's like, go to Macedonia. Prayer is where they are all directed to go and do what they are going and doing. So to you and I this morning, we are sent out into the world to tell others about Christ. We cannot escape that reality. To do that well, know how to tell your own story well. Know how to articulate what the living God has done in your life. And while we are daily engaging the living God in prayer, I wonder what our daily pattern would look like as God brings people into our life who no doubt he is working in some of those hearts that we are in fact praying for, but might miss the prompting to say, go to Lower Melpac, and you're going to find a red Civic that's broken down, and that's the one that you're going to talk to today. Your family member that you pray for all the time, you might in your prayer life be prompted to go, and this is the moment at Tim Hortons on the corner of North River, and, God, and you can be confident that God's doing something in that person's life and heart. Prayer is this incredible moment where we often, like, yes, we bring our, our cries and our laments and we bring all of our things before the Lord, but also prayer is to be like, where am I to go today? Who are the people that I am to bless today? Who are the people that I am maybe to have a conversation with today? that you might be doing something in their life. Give me ears to hear, give me eyes to see, give me feet that will follow. Let me be that person that brings good news to the people that you love and that you've died for. I want to invite John and the team back to the platform as we move into this time of celebration on the Lord's table. And as they do, I just want to remind you one more time before we transition, is for you and I, the Christ follower. 
knowing the Holy Spirit's activity in the world that he has made, it should instill in us deep confidence that when asked to go, that the Holy Spirit is already present and there and doing something. That when I arrive in that place that you've asked me to go, you have done the hard work of cultivating that heart. Hence Lydia, that, that moment of like, God had opened her heart to receive the news that Paul was bringing her. And the words that sometimes we are worried over. What will I say and how will I say it? God will give you all that you need to say in that moment. It doesn't depend on you so much as are you just being faithful to what God is asking you to do as we are sent out into his world whose heart is to redeem every single person back to himself. And you want to talk about like highlight moments in life? Oh, there is nothing that comes close to you going and you participating in a dialogue where you see someone's life changed for the glory of God. Like nothing comes close to that. Nothing comes close to that. I'm gonna invite Wanda and Krista and the other ushers forward this morning. They're gonna pass around the communion elements. Again, there's kind of take both cups at the same time. Bread is on the bottom and the juice is on the top. And once they finish passing that out, we will kind of move into this celebration of the Lord's table. Because this all fits together in a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful way.